that's the beauty of Nike. We're the leader in innovation, and uh, they've stepped up to the to the plate and actually delivered something that we've never seen before in, in our history of our sport. That's pretty shocking to say something like that, but it's true. And then to see how to see how it actually works and the physics behind it, and actually how it does perform better than anything you've ever hit, um, it goes to show you how how good Nike Golf really is now. If you paid attention at all to golf since 1996, you definitely would have gotten a healthy exposure of Nike's involvement. And obviously, a big part of this has to do with Tiger Woods. Yet, even with having Tiger, a myriad of other stars, and the backing of one of the most recognizable sports corporations, Nike Golf failed to ever turn a profit. And in 2016, they ended their manufacturing of golf equipment just as they seemed to be getting their footing. Greetings y'all, it's your knock Peter Mata, and while yes this topic has been well talked about by Rick Shields and others, I wanted to dive into the topic myself and give a little bit of a look at the golf equipment industry in general. So without further ado, let's see what happened to Nike Golf. For Nike's early years in golf, they took small steps. In 1984, just as they got into the basketball shoe game with Michael Jordan, the company also introduced its first line of golf shoes as well as shirts. In the following years, they took another step by signing their first golfers to endorsement deals, Sevi Ballesteros and Curtis Strange. They also began sponsoring some college golf teams to wear their gear. In 1993, they became the named sponsor of the Nike Tour, which was previously the Hogan Tour, and of course now it's the Corn Ferry Tour. Then, in 1996, Nike took a major step into the golf industry and helped Tiger Woods say, I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> they gave Tiger an unprecedented five-year, $40 million endorsement deal before he even hit a shot as a pro. With their new face of the franchise, so to speak, Nike Golf was off and running. While they didn't get into manufacturing golf equipment yet, they did up their golf shirt and shoe game with these iconic designs. And they also ramped up their advertising with a series of commercials. And now, Golf Not Hard with Tiger Woods and here's in T-Range. Too many people overcomplicate the golf swing. Today, we're going to make it simple. First, place the ball off the inside of your left heel. Second, bend your knees slightly. And finally, get the left arm straight. Voila, you're on your way to a better golf swing. Of course, you also want to maintain the triangle too, and lead with your hips. And other than taking the club back low and slow, that's all there is to it. As long as you allow your weight to shift to the inside of your right foot, and keep the club face square, and your left heel planted, and the V between your thumb and forefinger pointing to your right shoulder, and the club grip gently like a wounded bird, and your left shoulder on your chin, allowing your hands to rotate through the impact area, and maintaining a stable lower body position, while finishing with your belt buckle facing the target with your rear elbow hand. That should help take the mystery out of the golf swing. This is Tiger Woods, reminding you that we can all be better. As Tiger experienced early success, so did Nike Golf. In 1998, Nike Golf was established as its own business unit under Nike Incorporated, with Bob Wood named president. That same year, the unit developed their first line of golf balls, with the Nike Precision Tour Control, Spin Control, Distance Control, and Precision Control. They even approved upon this golf ball line in the following year, when they introduced the tour accuracy. Then came Tiger's prime 1999 and 2000 season. Nike's big bet on Tiger had paid off. 
Using Nike's apparel and ball, Tiger began his reign as the world's best golfer, as well as one of the most popular and marketable athletes in the world. Rightfully so, Nike quickly re-signed Tiger to a five-year, $100 million extension. And with their built-up capital, they began to go to work. Spurred by Bob Wood, Nike purchased Impact Golf and hired their owner Tom Stites and their master craftsman Mike Taylor to help launch Nike Golf's first line of clubs. Soon thereafter, Nike Golf built their famous research and development site, The Oven, in Fort Worth, Texas. And from there, they began manufacturing all golf equipment. In addition, they also began to sign more players to endorsement deals. Most notably, David Duvall. The new Nike Ignite Driver. Get distance, get forgiveness, get high. Best contact you made all year, Duvall. When David won the 2001 Open Championship, he was actually the first player to win an event and major with Nike's clubs. In 2002, Nike clubs became available at retail for the first time. They released their forged titanium driver, their pro combo irons, and their forged wedges. At that year's WGC American Express, Tiger himself began playing all Nike clubs. Minus, of course, his famous Scotty Cameron. And as Tiger does, he ended up winning that event, which I'm sure gave Nike some sense of validation. Not to lose sight of their apparel and shoes, in 2003, Nike Golf climbed to second behind FootJoy in the footwear market. Also worth mentioning, this is the year that they first introduced the legendary mock turtleneck to the game. Later that same year and in 2004, they launched a number of different equipment lines, including the Ignite Drivers, the Nike One Golf Balls, and a couple of game improvement lines that were on the Golf Digest hot list, those being the CPR Hybrids and the Slingshot Irons. And of course, Nike Golf made commercials to announce these releases. Why the tungsten plug? Because it lowers the fairway wood center of gravity for incredible distance and forgiveness. <laughs> you sound like an ad. Oh, no kidding, Sherlock. What do you think I'm doing here? I'm not really getting a haircut, you know. It's fur. It's fake fur. It doesn't grow. And do you really think I get off talking about tungsten plugs? Huh? The new Nike Fairway Woods featuring a 40 gram tungsten plug for a low center of gravity. Going to the late 2000s, Nike Golf really started to peak. Obviously, this was synonymous with Tiger's great run during that time. In this time span, they became the number one apparel in golf and continued to improve their equipment with some notable clubs. This includes the Nike Sasquatch. There has been an increase in sightings over the last few weeks. I saw the footprint. It was huge. It was a long way off, but it looked like it had real power. It wasn't a member. It just catches your eye and then it's gone. And this also includes the sequels to the Sasquatch, the SQ Sumo, and the SQ Sumo 2, which I'm pretty sure y'all remember as the first square driver. First glance you think, oh, square? Oh, I can't play with that. I'm used to using a round pear-shaped club. Mm -hmm. That all disappeared, you know, as soon as technology became uh, king. When people talk about the traditional shape, the pear shape, I, w I wondered why it was uh, the way it was and how did people get used to that? You know, it became, you know, now it's the most traditional look. Mm -hmm. Originally, that was the best shape that would not break when it was made out of a persimmon. Obviously, it's a square, it's more stable. Ball just doesn't curve as much. I mean, it will if you want it to, but a miss hit or a, 
the one that you don't hit perfect, it, it doesn't go offline as much as, say, a standard-looking driver or an older technology driver. That's designed to get in the air a little bit more easily, spin a little bit more easily. It's a little bit better suited, you know, maximum forgiveness, higher MLI, all those things that we've been touting. It's a lot harder to twist it. It wants to stay level because if you twist it this way, if you go left with the club face, then the whole backside's got to go right. Exactly. And the club don't want to do that. So I was sold right away with the square driver. When you start hitting it down the middle of every fairway with the, 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 the right trajectory every time, you know, you fall in love with the club, really. The more I hit this thing, but the better that club head started to look. Whoa. This one's going home with me. In addition, Nike Golf signed a good mix of players during this time, from vets like Justin Leonard, Stuart Singh, KJ Choi, to solid tour pros like Carl Peterson, Lucas Glover, Rory Sabatini, to at the time young and up-and-comers like Paul Casey, Trevor Emmelman, and of course, Anthony Kim and Michelle Wee. All these players, along with many more, were not only creating a lot of buzz, but also they were producing with Nike's equipment. They were winning around the world, and a few of them even winning majors. Just looking at the 2008 and 2009 seasons, Nike Golf had to be feeling good with Trevor Immelman winning the Masters, Tiger winning the US Open, Lucas Glover winning the US Open, and Stuart Sink winning the Open Championship. Also, who can forget this classic commercial back from early 2009? Unfortunately though, not everything was as rosy as it seemed. Economically, the Great Recession began to cripple the economy, and for many families, understandably, golf was pushed aside for other priorities. Additionally, as we all know in late 2009, Tiger got caught up in a sex scandal that greatly hurt his image, and consequently affected the Nike brand. More on both of these later. Moving forward into the 2010s, Nike Golf refocused and started developing more new lines of golf equipment. Building on the Victory Red irons that they released in 2008, Nike introduced not only the Victory Red driver which was used by Charles Swartrell in his 2011 Masters win, but also the Victory Red woods and hybrids. I definitely don't see any offset compared to some of the hybrids that are out there and, and that's really why I have trouble using the hybrid. It's because uh, I always see a hook before I see it going straighter. Right, and we, we wanted to create that visual where, I mean, you said it absolutely perfect, see a hook. before. I mean, even when you're in the golf store and you put it down, right. nowhere near a golf course, you're like, man, this thing looks like it's going left. Right, right. So, I mean, that visual thought that the better player wants to have, 
is built into the VR. So we really want to make it fit in there within the set, make it play like part of the VR set of irons. It's going to have the same type of flight that you'd expect to see out of your irons, the same workability. If you want to go a little bit more forgiveness, then that's the mock speed way to go. And, you know, we're going to have probably both of them in, in play on tour. I mean, just because you're a tour player, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't need help getting the golf ball up in the air either. Right. Well, uh, if you hit it in some dicey spots, you need as much help as you can get. <laughs> Additionally, they introduced their line of method putters and continued making progress in their golf balls. First with the 20XI in 2011, then introducing the resin in 2014. Interesting tidbit I found about their golf balls was that while Nike designed the balls, they manufactured it with Bridgestone. Probably a big reason why Tiger feels so comfortable with Bridgestone balls today. Anyways, back to the background and speaking of Tiger, as he made his comeback in 2012 and 2013, Nike Golf got a bit of a boost itself. After Rory McIlroy broke out as a major champion in the previous years, Nike Golf eyed him to be their next big time player to help carry the brand. Thus, they signed him to a massive 10-year, $200 million contract. Roy's decision to switch to Nike was met with some skepticism, since he was changing from his Titleist clubs that got him there in the first place. And frankly, his struggles to win in 2013 didn't help put that skepticism to rest. I distinctly remember the driving range shatter around this time. Many people did not have a positive sentiment towards Nike clubs. And really... That wasn't exactly the first time someone threw shade towards Nike Golf. Again, more on this later. Rory and Michelle Wee did help quiet some doubts in 2014 with their major wins that season using the Nike Covert Driver. Late in 2014, Tiger and Rory helped introduce Nike Golf's last line of clubs that they developed. The Vapor Flight Driver in Woods, as well as the Vapor Irons. It's gorgeous looking clubs. There's three uh, different types. There's the uh, Pro Blade, there's the Pro Combo, and the Vapor Speed. How about we go hit some, uh, and then uh, Tiger can judge who's got the better form. You're Sounds good. Cool that? Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Unfortunately, while Nike Golf tried to continually push the envelope in equipment, it seemed they couldn't quite make the progress that they envisioned. Thus, in 2016, after seeing an 8% drop in revenue from the previous year, Nike announced that they would end their manufacturing of golf equipment and go back to focusing on just golf apparel and shoes, effectively shutting down their Nike Golf business unit. Of course, since then, we've still seen that familiar Nike check on the golf course. The company has still kept their endorsement deals with their many golfers and even added a few with Tony Finau, Brooks Kepka, and others. However, in terms of their golf equipment, Tour players and amateurs for the most part have moved on to other companies, and their clubs are essentially now seen as a sign of time gone by. So I guess it's time to overanalyze and ask that big question. What happened to Nike Golf? What caused them to end their foray into developing golf equipment? Well, I mentioned a few already, but let's break them down further one by one. And this is going to be in no particular order, by the way. Number one, the product. So what did people actually think about the Nike Golf equipment? As I said earlier, there was a lot of skepticism toward their equipment. For instance, many probably remember Phil Mickelson's comments in 2003 regarding Tiger's equipment. While Phil did take some heat for saying that, there was some truth to it. Nike's early clubs weren't anything special. Specifically, their woods over the years often received mixed reviews. Many thought Nike's early woods were very pedestrian looking, 
unforgiving, and really didn't help that much in terms of gaining length. Nike did put in good effort though to improve upon this and stand out with their later designs. They often use color and shape to try to catch the eye of the players. Example being the yellow on the back of the Sasquatch, the square head of the Sumo 2, the red speed slot in the Victory Red, the red crown and huge cavity back of the Covert, the blue honeycomb crown and cavity back of the Vapor Fly. Every new release, Nike Golf did try to innovate and stand out. And to their credit, each club line did get better and better in performance. I haven't even mentioned their other clubs either. Their putters were known for having a hot face and were overall decent. Their irons and wedges were solid and performed adequately. And their golf balls I'd probably say were their best piece of equipment, which had innovative cores and used different materials that helped with length and control. I'm not trying to be a commercial here for Nike Golf, but I'm just saying it wasn't all bad performance. Nike Golf did invest in the time, money, and effort to try to get the golf equipment right. But the problem with Nike's product ultimately fell because of their true lack of identity and equipment and the way golfers viewed them. For one, Nike Golf never had a line or set of clubs that really set itself apart in quality from other companies. For instance, when you hear about TaylorMade, you think about their woods. When you hear about Cleveland Golf, you think about their wedges. When you hear about Tylus, you at least think about their ball. I can go on and on with other examples. Nike's problem was that they were never able to break through like that with consumers and gain a market share. They were essentially generalists in an industry of specialists. And really Phil Mickelson's words sort of stick because that's what a lot of people thought of their stuff. While Nike had put in the work to improve their equipment, many were reluctant to change from other clubs that performed equal or better. And the different colors and shapes didn't move the needle either. For the most part, many thought it was gimmicky more than anything. Overall, Nike's golf products could be chalked up to a skill mismatch. Their apparel and shoes are some of the best in the world. Hence why they're still in that part of the business. But if you look at their entrance into the hardware business in golf and in other sports, you'll find that they've had the same struggle to build a successful product that resonates with consumers. Number 2. The Tiger Effect I'm sure a lot of you know what I mean by this, but if you don't, basically this is how Tiger Woods affects the golfing industry and beyond, both in good and negative ways. With Tiger exceeding all hype throughout his career, he brought a number of new things to golf. More viewers, more players, more sponsors, more golf courses, and overall and most importantly, more money in the game. So this whole phenomenon probably deserves its own video but I'll focus more on its effect on just Nike Golf. As we heard earlier, from the get-go, Nike was all in on Tiger. Consequently, it's no surprise that when he progressed, the business did too. Thus, I don't think anyone can blame Nike for feeling confident about trying to enter the golf club industry, especially after Tiger went on arguably the greatest run ever from 1999 to 2001. By then, their investment in him had paid off, so they probably thought, might as well see where he takes them. And again, as Tiger continued to progress in the 2000s, it's no surprise when you look at Nike's revenue that they reached their first peak in 2008, when Tiger was at the peak of his powers. As I said during this time, Tiger was universally respected and was probably the world's most marketable athlete. I mean, he had as squeaky clean an image as someone could have. Then, of course, we reached 2009, when Tiger got caught in his infamous sex scandal. 
I don't think it can be denied that this definitely changed things for Tiger and Nike, especially since they were one of the few sponsors to stick with him. For one, with his change in image, it affected how Nike advertised with Tiger. Small example being Nike's slogan, Just Do It. The jokes sort of write themselves here, but since his scandal, I rarely see Tiger advertise with this slogan. Another thing was that Nike cut their prices for their TW merchandise the following year or so, and as a result, this affected how much they paid Tiger. Overall though, in effect his scandal was one of the big factors that stopped the growing momentum that Nike Golf seemed to be gathering in the late 2000s. But as it's been repeatedly said, Nike Golf trended as Tiger did. 2009, 2010, 2011, 2014, 2015, and 2016 were all declining years for Nike Golf in terms of revenue. 2012 and 2013 were the lone growth years during that time. This just so happens to coincide with Tiger's career trend. So in essence, the answer behind this point is that so goes Tiger, so goes Nike Golf. No matter who else they brought in to help the brand, it was always going to be about Tiger. And look, I can definitely attest to this effect. I'm as big of a Tiger fan as you'll find and growing up in the 2000s, the only reason I bought Nike clubs and balls was because of Tiger. Very similar to Michael Jordan and the Air Jordans, he wanted to be like Tiger just as he wanted to be like Mike. So it's certainly one of the notable reasons as to why Nike decided to cut golf equipment after 2016. There was a lot of uncertainty with Tiger's career at that time, and it was going to be tough for Nike to continue to justify investing heavily if they weren't going to have their face of the franchise. Number 3. The Sign of the Times Nike's co-founder Phil Knight offered some interesting insight with comments in 2017. He said, quote, Not even Tiger Woods could make golf profitable. And he continued saying, quote, it's a fairly simple equation, that we lost money for 20 years on equipment and balls, we realized next year wasn't going to be any different. In my opinion, I don't think these comments are necessarily a shot at Tiger, but more of a comment on the golf industry itself. As many of you golfers know out there, there's cost to playing it. Cost to get equipment, cost to practice, cost to travel and go play, and overall time cost to even play the game. You know, it's three to five hours to play around nowadays. For the business side of golf, starting with the golf courses, they have routine costs of equipment and labor just to maintain the course, costs to maintain the facilities as well as the labor to run those facilities, and overhead costs that any other business would need to operate. Now on to the golf equipment business. They have a high material cost, as in metal, graphite, rubber, etc. They need that in mass bulk to be able to test and get the design and formula right. Then they have to take into account labor costs, as in getting the people with the expertise to figure out the right design and formula. This is also not to mention that Nike develops apparel and golf shoes and invests money into endorsement deals too. And again, they also have all the other overhead costs that any other business would need to operate. So with all that considered, let's take a step back to the state of golf in the late 2000s. We just talked about the Tiger effect, and obviously one of the effects was that there was more money in the game than ever. People had a little extra money, so they were putting in things like golf. 
They were spending it on equipment and playing. However, just like Tiger's scandal, the Great Recession helped put a stop to this growing momentum. As mentioned previously, for many, spending on golf understandably became less of a priority. And this filtered to the business side of golf. Less people purchased equipment, and less people played overall. With that happening, it was only a matter of time before businesses started to close. As many of you probably seen over the past 10 years, that's exactly what happened. Since there was an abundance of golf courses built through the 2000s, many courses began to close. Same thing happened for golf equipment companies. In the 2000s, there were many to choose from. But likewise, for the past 10 years, many have closed operations and or have been bought out by bigger companies. This is shown visibly now. Back in the 2000s, if you were wearing a Callaway hat, you had Callaway equipment. If you were wearing a Nike hat, you had Nike equipment and so on and so forth. For me, it's so interesting to see it now that you got players mix matching. For instance, you'll see Adidas clothing with Callaway equipment or Nike clothing with Ping equipment. It's unusual and different, but that's the reality of it. It's just a sign of the times in golf. Bringing this all back to Nike golf, basically what I'm saying is that everyone in the golf industry, not just Nike, has been working hard to just survive and do what they can to stay open. If you compare some of the financials between Nike Golf and other equipment companies during this time, you'll see the trend. In addition, it doesn't help that the youth audience which Nike goes for is typically at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of resources. And not to mention the fact that this audience has had a constant waning interest in the game of golf. So Nike in 2016 probably saw this trend. And coupled with what Phil Knight was saying, it was a simple formula. They weren't going to keep shelving out money on something that was trending negatively and that was already unprofitable even in good times. Hence why they probably pulled the plug on Nike Golf. In sum, while Nike Golf shut their equipment manufacturing for these reasons, their entrance into the golf industry has certainly been attention grabbing. And for some, including myself, we look back at Nike's golf equipment and all their classic commercials with fond memories and nostalgia. I know whenever I see my leftover Nike SQ Sumo driver in the garage, I think back to growing up in the game in the 2000s and just trying to be like Tiger. Anyways, I know this was a long one, but I certainly enjoyed creating this video and hope y'all found it interesting too. At the end of the day, these were just my thoughts on what I think happened to Nike Golf Definitely let me know if I missed something and give me your thoughts on what you think happened to Nike Golf. Thanks again for watching y'all and as always, please like, subscribe, and comment below. Your words mean something to me.